Blog Talk Radio. Teacher 
and the student who went missing. Uh, there was some sightings. We'll talk about that with our guests. Also, Bill Cosby finally set to go to trial in the month of June this year. Also, the mayor of New York looks to close down Rikers Island. Let's bring in our guest for the evening. He is a legal analyst, one of the best lawyers in the world. He works here in New York City. He's a wonderful guest to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Sanchez joins us tonight. Good evening, Alex. How are you? All right, Jordan. Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. I don't know if it's completely deserved, but I certainly appreciate it. And it's great to be here on the show. Absolutely. So uh, how's everything with you? Oh, everything's okay. I mean, just busy. I was just working up until a few minutes ago trying to put together a, a legal document for one of my clients. And that's the way it is when you practice law. Sometimes uh, you're up late and you're working hard and you're, you're worried about other people's lives. And, and other times it's, there's a low and things are slow. How many you years you're at Relax. This? And I've been doing this How since many? 1981. And before 1981? that I did internships. Really, almost like from 1978, because I started doing internships and with federal judges and legal aid societies. I was in the district attorney's office, even in college. Um, right. Uh, so I've been around for a long time doing this. Yeah. So when you when you were a kid, did you do you ever think you were going to do this? Was that your plan? I I I was always interested in becoming a criminal trial attorney. I was uh, recently. I've been watching the Perry Mason episodes and. When I was a kid, I used to love that show, and uh, I watched these shows, and I still enjoy them. Now, they're not exactly realistic, because you see, Perry Mason never loses a case, and there's no attorney on the face of the earth that never loses a case. The only one I know of is Perry Mason, (laughs) but it's still good entertainment. (laughs) Yeah, they they had some good shows in the old time. Columbo, right? Oh yeah. Was, yeah, I used to like Columbo. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. He he played the bumbling detective. You know, yeah. unfortunately with uh what was his name? Peter uh what was what was the the guy that played Columbo? Peter um Falk. I, I can't yeah, mm-hmm. Peter Falk. You know, he, he eventually became very senile. And uh, he was running up and down wherever he lived. I'm not sure if it was in California, acting like a, you know, a very disoriented, you know, person whose mind had greatly dissipated. And I thought that was kind of sad. You know, people grow old and people get sick. And and where they were yeah. once great, they're no longer great. They're great in our minds and in our history. But in reality... You know, time has a way of eating away at the best of us. You can't fight time no matter what. And uh, speaking of that, today we lost uh, Don Rickle at 90. Did you ever see any of his work? And if so, what was your thoughts on him? Uh, I like Don Rickle. I mean, I've never, I didn't see him live, but I thought he was very funny. Right. And, uh, you know, him yeah. with the insults. You know, I mean, nobody... Nobody likes to be insulted, <laughs> but he did it right. in a way that was funny. And, uh, you know, he was always on the Johnny Carson show, and 
he was one of the great ones. I liked him. I like Rodney Dangerfield. Remember him? Was hey, I don't get no respect. Oh yeah, that, that guy was hilarious. You know, and I don't best. find too many comedians particularly funny, but those guys right. are funny. And uh, you know, when you hear somebody like that, Diamond, it's like a whole era just went down the tube. Yeah. You know that guy represented like a yeah. Mm-hmm. He's friends with all these big shots and. You know, when these when these guys die, it's like you know a piece of history. You know, uh, oh no question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Well, let's talk about this Bill O'Reilly uh, situation. I want to get your take on it, if you believe or what story. But here's the uh, story behind the story. Fox News anchor Bill O'Reilly is feeling the heat in the wake of a New York Times report saying at least five women have received financial settlements after complaining of sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior, including one reported $9 million settlement. And as Jim Murray reports today, another woman spoke out, therapist Wendy Walsh, who says she didn't get a job at Fox after she rebuffed O'Reilly's advances. She's the well-known TV expert who's accusing Bill O'Reilly of inappropriate behavior. I had a business dinner with Mr. Bill O'Reilly, and he asked me to go to his hotel room afterwards. Dr. Wendy Walsh, once a frequent guest on the top-rated O'Reilly Factor, held a press conference Monday, leveling shocking allegations against Fox News' biggest star. After I declined, he became hostile and eventually barred me from Fox News. Wendy Walsh claims she and O'Reilly had dinner here at the Hotel Bel Air in 2013. She claims he promised her a lucrative job as a regular contributor to Fox News, and she says he invited her to his hotel suite. Instead, she suggested having drinks at the bar, at which point she claims he became hostile and says she could forget any career advice he had given her. She says the next time she met O'Reilly was when she was on the set of his show. He looked up from his scripts. And he said, when are you leaving? And that was the last words he ever said to me. Um, he caught himself because everyone looked at him like, where'd that come from out of the blue? And he said, I mean, uh, didn't you say you were going on vacation or something? And then very soon after, he had the executive producer of the show call me and say that they're going to take a break from the segment for a little while. Her lawyer, Lisa Bloom. She has chosen to speak out against one of the most powerful men in American media. Walsh, a relationship expert, is also a regular guest on Inside Edition. The 54-year-old therapist first went public with her disturbing allegations in the New York Times. The article claims O'Reilly and Fox News have paid out $13 million to settle claims of sexual harassment or other inappropriate behavior over the years. The women receiving payouts reportedly include former Fox newscasters Lori Dew, Juliet Huddy, and Rebecca Gomez-Diamond. Walsh is not one of those who reached a settlement, nor did she lodge a complaint with Fox. I'm not litigious. I don't want any money. I'm not, there's no lawsuit. It's just authentic honesty. O'Reilly, a former host of Inside Edition, says in a statement, the worst part of my job is being a target for those who would harm me and my employer, the Fox News Channel. Those of us in the arena are constantly at risk, as are our families and children. He made a similar point in an interview with Seth Meyers last year. In this country, every famous, powerful, or wealthy person is a target. You're a target. I'm a target. O'Reilly's statement goes on. In my more than 20 years at Fox News Channel, no one has ever filed a complaint about me with the Human Resources Department, even on the anonymous hotline. What would Walsh say to O'Reilly now? I would say that I'm sorry you're going through this, 
but workplaces are not mating marketplaces, and you should just try Tinder. Fox News says in a statement, quote, we have looked into these matters over the last few months and discussed them with Mr. O'Reilly. While he denies the merits of these claims, Mr. O'Reilly has resolved those he regarded as his personal responsibility. Okay, Alex, uh, first of all, what do you make of this? Second of all, if uh, you were his, uh, if he, you know, called you for some advice, what would you just tell him to do? Well, I'd like to know, you know, $9 million. You know, I, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking, you know, that kind of money, I'm going to, I'm going to somehow make my way over there and try to get myself sexually harassed so I could file some type of lawsuit against him or anybody over there. And that's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, well, you know all, all, all kidding aside, I mean, I, the idea that um, women could go to work and, you know, somehow be hustled for sex with someone holding the prospect of employment or a job or their career over. To me, I find that, to me, it's so egregious. I have a wife. I have two daughters. I don't want something like that happening to them or any woman. Right. Though. I think that's absolutely outrageous. I cannot stand. I cannot stand the idea of someone holding somebody else hostage, and that's particularly egregious. And you know, all the is are they saying down there at the Fox News Channel that this is, you know, some left wing, you know, MSNBC. CNN, you know, fake news conspiracy, trying to tear down O'Reilly. The women that go on a show, for the most part, are conservative commentators. Those are the ones that right. end up on the show. And so I think we can, you know, so this, if anybody's making a suggestion, this is some conspiracy of the left, forget about it. That's not going to make it. This must be some right-wing conspiracy that I guess. That's a conservative network. Those women that work there in comedy, because I watch that show sometimes, as I watch other shows, they're conservatives. So what is he saying, that all these conservative women have banded together, have all agreed to create some fraudulent lie, committed all kinds of crimes by filing false you know, uh, legal papers, and have put their own careers and their own reputations on the line? I'm not buying it. To me, the guy, he's 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 a disturbed personality. There's something not right about him. <laughs> you know that that guy not... once once wrote a book. He once wrote a yeah. book, believe it or not, about being a serial killer. But the, he was a serial killer that was killing other journalists. <laughs> yeah, he oh, wrote a my. book like that. Yeah, he's there's something not right about him. Yes, he's a he's smart. Yes, he has some interesting things to say and some interesting comments to say. But just because a person is smart, because they have talent, and because they're famous, does not mean you you can't be sick at the same time. I think we learned that lesson with the Michael Jacksons of the world. We learned that lesson with the O.J. Simpsons of the world. We learned that lesson over and over again, and it's. The same thing with Bill O'Reilly. Now, you asked me what advice would I give Bill O'Reilly if he came to right. me and, and I was advising him. I probably would give him very different advice than would other lawyers 
would give him. You see, right now, the other lawyers are telling him, and he's probably not one to listen to lawyers, but more likely than not, the lawyers are telling him, listen, you just deny, 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 pull the old Trump routine and just deny forever, no matter what, unless there's absolutely irrefutable, incontrovertible evidence like a videotape of you committing an offense. Then maybe you can reluctantly make an admission. I wouldn't wouldn't do that. I think at this point, I think he needs to go on TV and make a mea culpa and say, you know something? I have made some mistakes in the past. I have said some things that were inappropriate to women in the past. Yes, I have done that. And it was a mistake on my part. I want to apologize to those people, okay? It was an error. And if Fox believes that, you know, I need to take a leave of absence or be suspended from my work or the viewers think that I should be punished, hey, I, I can accept that, okay? We make mistakes in life, and I'm going to try to be a better person the next time around. But he's not going to do that. It's not within his psychological constitution to do that. He's going to just retreat. And he's not the type to ever admit that he's made a mistake. But these people are coming forward, and advertisers are pulling out. And sooner or later, something's going to break. As far as as far as my prediction, I think he's finished on that show. I think I think all the advertisers pulling out are going to doom that show because ultimately, all Fox cares about is money, and all its investors care about is money and if they're going to start losing money because of him he's out because that's the only thing they care about it's not about morality it's not about what's right or what's wrong it's not about you know trying to do the right thing it's about money and always keep your eye on the ball it's about money it's definitely going to hurt him no matter what true or false uh, these allegations hurt people uh, no matter what. The only thing that could be worse uh, than these being true are that these are false allegations. And that's a possibility, highly unlikely, but if these were to prove to be false and or maybe over-exaggerated a little, uh, it ruined his career. But I don't know why she would say that not not want to dine uh, the one who was talking uh, earlier. Uh, she's not even asking for a penny. So yeah, and that, 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 gives that, her, that hurts. That gives her gives credibility. credibility. It also it hurts O'Reilly. What is O'Reilly going to say? This is not about money. Is he going to say, well, it's about fame? She's trying to become famous. Well, she already has a following. She's well known. And you know, you know, there's there's an old saying um, that came out of Europe: fifty million Frenchmen can't be wrong you know and when you get you know it's one thing for one person to make an accusation when you get four five six and you've paid out money one of the accusations against o'reilly from what i understand there was a recorded conversation was he was making disgraceful remarks to some woman and that's why he he resolved the matter and paid out so much money you know you know I would say, okay, if, if this is all fraud, let's hear the tape. Let's get the tape out. Let's get, let me tell you something. If I ever had him on the witness stand, he'd be destroyed, destroyed, because all he has to do is deny that any of these things ever happened. Once you deny it, then you're allowed to bring in evidence to show that he's lying. So 
he is in a very awkward, legally awkward position right now. And right now he's hoping that the case blows away. He's trying to, you know, he, he I don't know what this business about the no spin zone that he runs over there at the O'Reilly Factor. Oh, yeah, they're trying to spin this big time. Oh, yeah, they've got all the experts. They've got all the media consultants. They've got the lawyers. They've got the financial people. Let's all sit down and figure out how we can spin this. That's not the no spin zone that he's been promoting in that show, you know, Right. because that's a show. But reality is reality. And then you get down to reality, these people are spinning left and right. And they're going to keep spinning because they're trying to save the show and they're trying to save money and they're trying to save, uh, you know, resources and they're trying to keep their investors and advertisers. But I think I think it's past that tipping point. I think the point is past. And now it's on the beginning of the downhill slide. And as it goes further and further down that slide, it becomes more and more difficult to make a reversal and climb back up that hill. That's what I think is going to happen here and is happening. It's uh, going to be an up, uh, you know, big time battle, but uh, I would say in a few years uh, it'll be okay uh, yeah, in terms of people will look at him, but I think he'll still be on the air as long as he's on the air now. I know yeah. it's, a, it's a terrible situation, like you said. You have a, your wife and your daughter. Think of it. If they were in that boat, that'd be horrible. Uh, horrible for anybody. It's uh, it's not right, and uh, let's see. Let's hope that justice goes uh, to to the way of the truth here. But uh, people have to answer. People do have to answer for their conduct eventually. So let's hope we get some answers. You know. Totally agree. So there was a uh, a teacher of fifty fifty years old. And he took off with this student. Here's the background we'll talk about. It's the just-released video of the teacher and the student he ran off with. It's the first official sighting of 15-year-old Beth Thomas and her 50-year-old teacher, Tad Cummins, since they disappeared two weeks ago. The just-released images are from a surveillance camera at a Walmart in Oklahoma City. The date was March 15th, two days after they fled Tennessee. The new images are a major break in the case that has riveted the nation. Look at the clues. Beth's dirty blonde hair has been dyed red. She's wearing a baggy flannel shirt, and it seems to be Cummins. Here he is wearing an identical plaid shirt the day before he took off. Now look at Cummins. His gray beard has been dyed brown. You may remember he was seen buying brown hair dye the day before he absconded with Beth. Now we know why. Investigators say while they were at this Walmart, they used cash to buy food items, but investigators say there was nothing else of significance that they purchased. Now look at this. It's an image from a McDonald's in Kearney, Nebraska, and it was taken just last night, April 2nd. Kearney is 450 miles from Oklahoma City. Is the net closing in? Police say they're not sure, calling the McDonald's sighting unconfirmed. It is possible we had a spotting of the victim and suspect, Carney police said. Cops included photos of this pickup truck. Cummins and Beth might be driving now. They were last seen in a silver Nissan Rogue. 
Use caution as the suspect has possession of two handguns, cops said. Meanwhile, another significant development. Cummins' wife, Jill, has just filed for divorce. You may remember her dramatic public plea two weeks ago for her husband to give himself up. Please do the right thing and turn yourself into the police and bring Beth home. Her attorney says, quote, the filing of the divorce is the first step to removing Jill from this situation. Jill will attempt to move forward with her life. Okay, Alex, this is a uh, big story that everybody's talking about, this uh, sick teacher, and uh, well, what's your thoughts on it? Well, it doesn't sound like they're, uh, you know, living the high life on the road. I mean, they're at McDonald's, they're at Walmart. I mean, God knows where they're sleeping, you know. Oh, my. Probably at <laughs> Bates Motel and, or something like that. But uh, this guy, I mean, this is the uh, this is the ultimate example of uh, you know some guy suffering from some midlife crisis or something. Fifty years old, running off with a fifteen-year-old student. I mean, this guy has some very serious, unresolved psychiatric or psychological disorders, and I don't know how he thinks he can get away with this. I mean, he's all over the newspapers. Cameras. There's cameras. How much money does? I mean, unless he's riding around with a, with a briefcase filled with with a half a million bucks. I mean, sooner or later, you know, someone's going to catch up with you. So this, what this is the, nothing uh, but a. If they catch him, when and if they catch him, what 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 is he looking at in terms of uh, like uh, what charges? You know, he might be facing kidnapping. Even though she went with him voluntarily, you know, a 15-year-old really can't volunteer to, to, to right. just be taken across state lines and, and, be, and, and be taken off with a man. He's probably facing, you know, might be facing some type of sexual assault charges. Even though she may have consented to some sexual relationship, you can't consent if you're under a certain age. So, you know, there's a number of different charges that he could be facing. Of course, it's complicated by the fact that she's voluntarily left with him. But, you know, he's finished as a person. You know, he's going to get caught. They know about him in Mexico. He's a very distinctive-looking guy, too. And whatever, yeah. you know, attempts he's... Yeah. Whatever attempts he's made to try to disguise his appearance weren't particularly successful. So you have this 50-year-old guy traveling around with a 15-year-old girl. And how long does that go on for? For six months, you're traveling, you stop at this little hotel here, a motel, then you go there. What do you do in the meantime? You go to McDonald's and you maybe try to sneak a movie in, and then you travel here. You're not living any kind of a life. You can't, you don't, you're not making roots anywhere. You're just on the run like a bunch of fugitives. And sooner or later, this young girl's probably going to get tired of this life. You know, as soon as oh, she gets yeah. tired, she's going to say, I go walk into a police station, and, eh, you know, I'm that girl that's missing, you know. So th- this is doomed to some bad ending. That's what I think. And it's, it's very pathetic. The guy's made, a, made his wife look ridiculous. And, uh, you know, he's, he's suffering some type of crisis. 
he probably, if he gets arrested and charged with anything, will probably try to plead some type of you know, diminished mental capacity, although I'm not so sure how successful that's going to be because this was all planned. But what is he going to do for the rest of his life? Let's say he goes to jail for a couple of years. Then what happens to him? You know? Uh, Even though you said that um, she's uh, 15 years old and she can't uh, consent to anything, obviously that's true. But um, let's just say hypothetically she said she was on board with this and she agreed to this, blah, blah, blah. Um, Would the uh, district attorney just uh, not uh, give that any credence whatsoever? No, I think they'll have to give it some credence. There's a very big difference. Really, between between being forcibly, you know, a very big difference between somebody putting, you know, forcing somebody to do something by threats or you know, drugs or extortion or something like that, and someone voluntarily, you know, going along with you. I mean, it, it has to be treated differently, and it would be treated differently. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't rise to the level of a crime. It simply means that whatever crimes he could be charged with would not be as serious as someone that, you know, grabbed some 15-year-old off the street and threw her in the car and took her across the country. That's about as serious as you can get. But, if you know, if he said, hey, you want to come with me, I'm, you know, you're going to be a runaway, jump in my car, we're going to, we're going to take a ride, you know, it's going to be – it's going to be a factor that the prosecution is going to consider. But the prosecution mm-hmm. has the whole state and the whole country breathing down his neck, so he's going to do everything in his power to to, to vigorously prosecute this guy. It, uh, it's going to be a pretty uh, tough time for this guy in prison, too. Uh, as you said, they don't like the inmates that mess with the kids. And this is uh, a well-known face now, so it'll probably be a big story once he's caught. Yeah, I think he's going to get caught. But, you know, it's not the same as, you know, I don't see it as the same. It's not good, but I just don't see it as quite the same as somebody that's, that's kidnapped somebody off the street and is sexually abusing them. That, that's really, a, that's horrible in the extreme. But, you know, she went along with them voluntarily. Maybe they're not having any type of sexual relationship. Maybe maybe it's more like a father-daughter. I don't know. But That's I think true. that, you know, it's not clear what is going on. And, and another thing is whenever he does get arrested, she may not be particularly cooperative with the, uh, mm-hmm. with the prosecution. You know, and if she's That's not cooperative, what is the prosecution going to do? He's going to put her in jail and say, we're going to keep you in jail until you cooperate? So it, no, it's, there's a lot of somebody. obstacles the prosecution has to deal with here. No question. No, but I think the fact that she's 15, uh, they could bring in a doctor that said, you know, she's just saying this to protect her because she's scared or whatever. Like they usually do with these high cases, so uh, we'll see what happens. It should be uh, interesting. Also, uh, the interesting case that's finally coming is only in, in two months. Bill Cosby going to trial in June. Here's the story. 
Bill Cosby trial set for June. The Bill Cosby scandal was almost as big as the election. Let's just hope that justice is served here. The Cosby case will kick off in June in Philadelphia with the pool of anonymous Pittsburgh jurors. Now the judge, who is Stephen O'Neill, put the finishing touches on the June 5th trial with hopes to have his jury selected by late May. America's dad, Bill Cosby, is 79 years old. He is accused of drugging and sexually assaulting an employee from his alma mater, Temple University, at his house back in 2004. What are your predictions for trial in June? Let us know below or on Twitter using the hashtag BETBreaks. For more, jet over to BET.com and subscribe to BET Network's YouTube channel. I'm Jamela Mustafa at JMedia underscore and you are watching BET Breaks. Okay, so Bill Cosby uh, finally to be uh, charged, well, uh, the, po- uh, the prosecution trying to charge Bill Cosby with this crime. 79 years old, uh, so uh, from the defense, uh, what are you going to ask the jury uh, if you're his uh, attorney? Well, I'm certainly going to ask the jury if I'm his attorney to keep an open mind ask whether or not these people are being completely honest and straightforward. When did they report the incident? Is there some financial incentive beyond this? Did you make any understandings or agreements with the prosecution in this case? Did anybody attempt to persuade you or push you into uh, testifying in this case, whether it's the prosecution, the police, or some outside social organizations or maybe the lawyers who represent the other women that are going to be filing some type of a lawsuit. Are you friends with these people, right? Why did why were you quiet all these years anyway? And how did you who reached out to you and, and informed you you needed to come to court? And did you make any kind of agreement with Mr. Cosby years ago and agree to settle whatever misunderstanding that you did have years ago? And if you did agree to some misunderstanding, why are you going back on that misunderstanding now? Who's pushing you to do this, right? These are some of the questions I would want the jury to consider if I were the defense attorney in this case. Would you uh, try to use the race card? So I've seen some comments on YouTube, and they say they're trying to take him down because he's black. Would you do go there like Johnny Cochran did with OJ? <clears throat> I think that would be, uh, you know, that's a treacherous road because some of the alleged victims are black. So right. know, that race card stuff is, that's not going to work very well if the people that are accusing you are African-Americans. So, he, you know, if he decides to go that route, it may blow up in his face. I think the best route he can go down is that there is insufficient evidence to substantiate the allegations that have been made against them. The allegations are very old, right? Because they're so old, yes. he is not in a position to adequately defend himself at this point because so many years have passed and witnesses or evidence that he may have been able to accumulate back then to, to uh, support his defense is no longer available. And it would be very unfair at this point to bring somebody up on criminal charges when when the case is as old as what it, what it is. 
Right. And uh, from the prosecution, uh, what is your uh, most, uh, what do you attack the most in terms of uh, Bill Cosby? Well, what the prosecution accomplished in this case, which still I think was grossly unfair. Again, even though I think both personally, I think Bill Cosby is guilty. I think he was, right. you know, drugging these women. I think the guy's an absolute disgrace. It's unbelievable that anybody can engage in that type of behavior. You know, it's amazing. These, one of these women didn't end up dead. You're giving them drugs like you're a pharmacist, you know, without considering that maybe they were taking medication on the side themselves. Additional drugs could put you over the top. You can end up in a coma, brain damage, things like that. Didn't care, you know. But in any event, uh, but the fact of the matter is, in the case that's going to trial, he had made some type of uh, agreement with the prosecution that he would make a statement about what happened on the grounds that that statement would not be used against him in a criminal trial so that the woman could obtain a civil judgment. Now the prosecution turned around and they said, oh, no, no. Even though he, he made that statement making some admissions of guilt, we can still use that statement because um, we, we're not, we don't consider that a valid uh, agreement that we previously made. What the hell are they talking about? You make an agreement with a prosecution, that's a valid binding agreement. And I don't care if it's a new prosecutor, okay? The prosecutor speaks for the people of that particular jurisdiction, and that's binding on subsequent prosecutors also. So I think it was very unfair what happened to Bill Cosby on that level. And I think even if he's convicted, it's going to end up being reversed. It cannot possibly be sustained because it's very unfair that they are now allowed to use that admission against him when he was promised it would not be used against him by the prosecution. Yeah, I mean, that is uh, that was in writing and everything, right? No, it wasn't in writing. I don't believe it was in writing. And that's what the judge said. Well, it wasn't in writing. Well, so what? You don't have to have something in writing. You have an agreement. It could be a handshake with the prosecution. We agree to the following. The prosecutor who made the agreement with came in and admitted he made an agreement with him. Why does it have to be in writing? You make an agreement, you make an agreement. It doesn't have to necessarily be in writing. Came in and said, yeah, you know, we made that agreement. Judge says he wasn't going to. He wasn't going to, you know, give validity to that former agreement, saying, well, you know, something like this needs to be in writing, both. And the appeals court, I guarantee you the appeals court are going to side with me on this. And uh, to be fair, how many many women should be allowed to say it happened to them? Because, as you know, there's quite a lot, over 50. So how how many is fair? Well, I think that a jury, a judge determined that only a handful are going to be allowed to testify. I mean, personally, I think that, you know, there probably should be a hearing to determine, like a pretrial hearing, to listen right. to all the women to determine which one of those types of, of uh, allegations should be brought before this jury. You know, and it would depend on how right. much evidence, the age of the case, things like that. But remember, you know, any prior allegation, any other allegation that comes in is going to be extremely prejudicial to a, 
Cosby's case. Oh sure. Because it's gonna yeah, it's gonna make him look like he's a serial uh, sex offender. And uh, once the jury hears that, they're gonna say oh, this is dead. And he better pray that there is no African American women that are being are gonna be allowed to testify against him at this trial. Because if he if they do, and I don't think race has anything to do with it, but if they do, it's over. I don't understand why this guy. Why him? Why are the O'Reillys of the world? Why do they right. need to be nasty and belligerent and use drugs and threats and everything else to to obtain? He could have paid off uh, people uh, to do this for a living. <clears throat> not not even that. There's just women that are throwing themselves at these people. But because they're no, famous, no because they're well known, they're throwing themselves. It would be. I remember watching Bill Cosby. He was always hanging out at the Playboy Mansion over there. <laughs> so why is he engaged in this behavior? It's it's a mystery to me. Other than the fact that he's sick, and again, I guess he feels invincible to a point. When you when you're that big and rich. Invincible to a point. Yeah. I mean, again, as I as I emphasized before and I'll emphasize again, being rich and powerful and funny and famous and, you know, being well-liked and talented and having all these adoring fans does not mean you do not suffer from serious psychological or psychiatric disorders. And that's what so many people that, that – for example, loved Michael Jackson. They just couldn't get, they could not comprehend that this guy was a child molester. They just couldn't comprehend it, and they refused to accept well, it. Well, to even be fair, the jury, the jury acquitted him. Yeah, that's true. That was in that one case, but he admitted sleeping in bed with kids. And yeah, that didn't make him look good. That didn't help anything, but. No, to anybody else, any other man who says they're sleeping in bed with kids, you know, people would immediately brand him as a child molester. But because he's Michael Jackson, he gets some type of a pass. They're not going to hold that against him. There were other kids that the the prosecution said that it happened to, and they came up on the stands and nothing happened to me. But uh, I, I, I see what you're saying. But uh, as a defense attorney, you know, there's always two sides, three sides to the story. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, we'll see what happens with Bill Cosby. What's your prediction? Do you think uh, he does any time? I I would be surprised if he does time because the guy's like 80. And the case is very old at this point. And... It wouldn't surprise me if he does not do any type of time. I mean, does he deserve time? Yeah, I think he does deserve time. But yeah, the guy's eighty years old. You know what I mean? And uh, obviously, it depends on how egregious the case is. They may not find him guilty of all the charges. Maybe they'll find him guilty of lesser offenses that are not mandatory jail. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into um, what type of sentence a person will be sentenced to if they're convicted. And we can only know, get a better idea whether or not he'll get jail 
once a jury delivers their verdict, obviously. But my inclination is yeah. that because he's as old as he is, and he's probably going to be paying out $100 million, uh, I think it's not likely he's going to do any significant time in jail. Probably no more than a year or two, if at all. Yeah, I don't think uh, he'll do any time. I, I think he'll be acquitted. But uh, we'll soon find out. So uh, Mayor DeBossi, uh was on uh, Hot 97 or one of the radio shows. Let's hear part of that interview where he talks about closing down Rikers Island, the jail here in New York City, and then we'll talk about that. From New York, Ebro in the Morning. Ladies and gentlemen, there he is, our mayor of New York City, friend of our program, Mayor de Blasio. Let's give it up for him right now. Hey, welcome, Mayor. Hey, Mayor. Good morning. I always wanted friend of the show status. You got it. There you go. Yeah. You got it. It took some years, but. Yeah, I had stuff. to earn it. I had to That's earn it. That's right, man. Um, big headlines for you over the weekend. Rikers Island closing. It'll take 10 years. Um, what I'm hearing, and I, maybe you can give us more information, is there will the idea is to put smaller facilities all around the city, and there's quote you said this, some tough decisions that'll have to be made. So can you a address the closing, and b talk more about these tough decisions? Absolutely, bro. Uh, it's time to close Rikers Island. We're going to do it. Uh, we. Had to be sure it could be done. That's why it took a while to get to this decision. We had to be sure we could drive down our jail population to the point that we would not need Rikers Island anymore. And, you know, just yesterday we unveiled uh, the crime statistics for the month of March, and crime was down 12% this March compared to last March. We had 11 Mm. fewer homicides. Overall, crime continues to go down as it has in the three years I've been in office. Why is that so crucial? Because that was the number one thing we had to be certain about. Could we keep driving down crime, therefore fewer people being arrested, fewer people going to jail? Get that population in our jail system, our whole jail system, Rikers plus three other jails right now, 9,300 people. We want to get that down to 5,000 people on any given day. That's what allows us to get out of Rikers once and for all. No more inmates on Rikers. And uh, I came to the conclusion it could be done. The tough decisions are, one, to keep that work going, keep driving down crime, keep doing the other reforms, the alternative sentencing, the jail, excuse me, the, the bail reform, the things that keep people out of jail to begin with, the mental health work my wife, Charlene, is doing to address mental health issues so people don't end up in uh, encounters with law enforcement. All of this has to keep going. We're going to have to spend money on that. We're going to have to make decisions about how we spend. But the other thing we're going to have to do is find at least a few sites for new jail facilities. I think it only has to be a few. It is not, you said earlier, all over the city. No, I don't think it's all over the city. I think it's a few places that will allow us the capacity to no longer need jail. That's something we have to do with the city council. That's an open public process that takes quite a while for communities to weigh in and council members to get to a vote on that. But I think we can find a few sites that make sense. Uh, and we have 10 years to do it because it's going to take that long to get the population down to the point we can get off Rikers altogether. How, and how do you, now, how now do you Mayor, go about doing that, though, the, the population down in a direct fashion? One, it's driving down crime. I mean, you know, let me give you an example. We, 20 years ago in this city, our jail system had over 20,000 people in it. Uh, this morning we got about 9,300 people in all our jails combined. 
Uh, we've shown steady progress on that from 55% reduction in mass incarceration of New York, in New York City over the last 20 years. We've particularly driven that down since I came into office. 23% reduction in the population on Rikers Island just since I came into office. And a lot of that correlates to driving down crime. We're now confident we can keep driving down crime. And so, you know, that's the building block. If you're not arresting people because they're not committing crime, they're not going to jail. And then the other well, thing and we also, about, I think, Mayor, too, what Rosenberg's asking about is, you know, some people don't understand the purpose of Rikers. There are people in Rikers waiting for a trial and waiting yep. for a long time. And sometimes the system gets bogged down and people end up staying there longer mm-hmm. than anticipated and not being able to get out and, and deal with whatever the issue is. Is some of that also addressing our system Correct. of dealing with Correct. things in a more efficient manner? Yeah, in a more fair manner. Look, the city part of the equation is policing and jails, but we depend on the state. The state runs the court system. The right. state uh, is the, the part that regulates the prosecutors. They're part of the puzzle here, too. Court system has to become more effective and more efficient. Prosecutors have to do all they can to move cases along. You're right. There's a lot of people who are on Rikers awaiting trial. We've got to make that process faster. There's a lot of people who are awaiting trial who shouldn't be there to begin with because we need to do more to provide alternative approaches to bail so that no one's sitting in Rikers because they can't afford a modest bail. Uh, And that's something we're working on, too. So there's a lot of different ways to reduce the the population and reduce the amount of time people spend there. There's another group of people. It's about 8,500 people a year who are sentenced to spend time on Rikers. As part, you know, their, their conviction leads to a sentence, but it's a brief sentence, a one year or less. They can be on Rikers, too, as opposed to going to an upstate prison. For those folks, we want to make sure they never come back to jail. And so this last week I also announced we're going to do a series of things to provide education and training to everyone who's in Rikers to help them get back on their feet and rehabilitate. We're going to start talking about reentry to society literally the first day they come into jail. We're going to say, this is your first day in jail. We want it to be the last time you're ever in jail. And for folks who are sentenced, serve their time at Rikers, we're going to have a transitional job waiting for them when they come out. For 8,500 people, there will be a transitional job waiting so that they can get right back in the workforce and never have another encounter with law enforcement. They, all that's of that will reduce recidivism. That's amazing. It's good humanly, but it will reduce recidivism. That's another way we drive down the jail population. Well, so, Mayor, I read that that number you were setting aside, $10 million for these jobs. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Correct. And so where is that money coming from? That's going to be part of the city budget. And, and we think it's a good investment. I, you know, uh, Ibra, the, you will be shocked, shocked and amazed to know that the New York Post attacked me and said I was <sighs> going to give jobs to criminals. And I That's right. We <laughs> talked about it on the show. You want every criminal to get a job. Yeah. All you got to do is commit a crime and de Blasio will give you a job. <laughs> and they have it so entirely backwards. We're in a city right now. Thank God we have over 4.3 million jobs in the city. The city economy is very strong. Lowest unemployment we've had in decades. There are a lot of jobs out there for everyday people. But what we want to do is make sure that folks coming out of jail, who in this case, if they serve time on Rikers, they did modest crimes in the scheme of things, we want them back on their feet, rehabilitated, redeemed, never go back to jail. Small investment to make sure that people get on the right track. Whenever we succeed, we are not only doing the moral and humane thing towards that individual, we're also, from a taxpayer point of view, if someone never goes back to jail, it's one of the smartest investments we ever made because they go back to jail, we're going to spend Okay, uh, Alex, uh, what did you make of uh, what are you planning to do with Rikers Island? You're you're probably 
you're probably familiar with it uh, as you lawyer uh, with people with that jail. And uh, but what do you make of uh, Mayor De Blasio and what he's saying? Uh, do you believe him? Uh, and what's your opinion overall on Mayor De Blasio uh, here in New York City? I, I listen. I, I certainly think programs he wants to institute are good. You want to, you know, there's not enough mental health facilities or social workers or psychiatrists that treat the inmates when they're in jail and when they release. That's good. I think it's great that there should be some type of training or, or some type of assistance to inmates when they're leaving the jail so that maybe they could, you know, help them get a job somewhere when they get out. All that's great. But the idea that you're going to close down Rikers Island, I mean, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. I've been to Rikers Island. The place is a giant facility. It's a massive facility. Yeah. And there's yeah. thousands of people there, right? You have people the, the there that are, are yeah, you have people there that are, are awaiting trial. You have people there that are, that are, you know, have committed, let's say, parole violations or probation violations. Rikers Island, in order to try to build, close down Rikers Island, well, you'd have to build all kinds of housing somewhere else. That means that you'd have to, let's say, either in Manhattan, I don't know where in Manhattan they could possibly build a, court, a giant jail near the courthouse which is, is a great idea, but we're talking about building a massive facility that could hold, what, 2,000 inmates? Then you have to have facilities. Part of that facility, you have to have medical facilities there. There's facilities um, for, for um, security forces have to watch people that come in and out. You have to have that all set up. You have to have transportation for the inmates um, for wherever they need to go. Um, whether it's to the, to the local uh, uh, courthouse, even if it's just a few uh, miles away or a few hundred feet away, they still need to get into some type of a bus to transfer to the courthouse. It's a massive, massive undertaking. And if you want to have programs, you have to have programs in those jails. You have to have social workers in there. You have to have medical facilities in there. You have to have visiting facilities in there. And that's just one jail. To try to replicate the amount of jail space that occurs at Rikers Island, you're talking probably a good 40, 40 to 50 buildings in and around New York City. And I don't know where exactly they would build those facilities. Um, so, And the idea that this could be done in 10 years, is, is it's almost preposterous. All the attorneys I've spoken to think this is utterly ridiculous, right? Oh, really? You're not going to close down Rikers Island. Yeah, you're not going to close down Rikers Island. And you're not going to build little jails in and around the various boroughs to make up for all those people that uh, are currently sitting at Rikers Island. Now, what I think they should do, they should build definitely smaller facilities near the courthouses. But you're not going to house everybody that's at Rikers Island in these facilities. But what they should do is house those people that have pending cases in the courthouse um, that are on trial something like that so that you're not wasting a lot of time transporting people back and forth from the court while they're doing trials or while, when they have to make court appearances. That would make some type of sense. But I, I think it's wholly unrealistic to believe you're going to – and it's also wholly, wholly unrealistic to believe that he's going to cut the population down in half. I mean, I'm glad yeah. that crime is going down, but it's not going to go down that much. And – 
what if it goes back up? You still have to have a place to house these people in case in case there's a uh, an uptick in crime. So I, I I do believe that he's he has some good ideas, but some of his ideas are simply not uh, realistic. So uh, what do you make of him as our mayor compared to like Giuliani, um, the one David Dinkins way back uh, here in New York? Uh, kind of grade do you give him? I, I give him a very low grade. I don't have a particularly high opinion of de Blasio. He's, I don't know of anything that he's accomplished. I Who really do you think don't. was the best mayor I, here in New York? The best mayor? Well, the best mayor Some people say in Koch. Yeah, well, Koch was pretty good. Probably Bloomberg was pretty good. He was a businessman. He, he did a pretty good job, Bloomberg. Um, Dinkins, and, you know, at least he represented himself in a respectful way, Dinkins. But de Blasio, <laughs> you know, uh, he's just doesn't seem to be doing anything except saying things. But in terms of achieving concrete achievements, I'm not. I can't think of a single concrete achievement he's made. Who is the worst? That in my mind, the worst. Mayor of all, well, you, yeah, you'd probably have to go back. You'd have to go back a number of years. There was a mayor back in the 20s named Jimmy Walker who used to hang out with call girls all day long, and he oh, could my. not stand being engaged in any type of mayoral business in New York City. And when there was too much work to do, he would get off and take a two-month vacation in Europe, you know, so <laughs> – Finally, <laughs> he, he, they they threatened to indict him, so he was forced to resign. So he was probably considered oh the worst goodness. mayor in New York City. That sounds like quite a story. But uh, before we, uh, 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 what do you think of uh, Donald Trump and the way things have been going for uh, his first hundred days as president? I have a prediction. And everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. And I think Donald Trump is going to end up resigning as the president. Because my, my parents said that. Yeah, for a number of different reasons. Number one, he's created a lot of enemies. And when you create a lot of enemies, some of these enemies are going to reveal some dark information about you. And I believe there is some dark information about him. You know, who yes. knows whether or not there are videotapes or there's documents that would greatly compromise who he is as a person. But if they're out there, somebody's going to come forward and they're going to be produced. That's one reason. The second reason is that he keeps getting beaten on all of whatever proposals he's trying to make. He keeps getting beaten. He's out of his league. He really is right now. I know a lot of people like him, but... The reality is, is that, you know, he doesn't understand Washington, and that's why people voted for him, but he's not getting anywhere. And I was just watching him today, and I was saying to myself, he looks very, very tired and worn out. Yeah, and I, a few, I, few months. I think that, yeah, and I think that all these factors coming together – one day he's going to get up and he says, you know something? I am sick 
tired of this and I just want out. I want to go back to my life as it once was. His wife, his wife is not happy from what I understand because she's living in Manhattan and they got all the security over there. She can't even take her kids out anymore. He's not happy living in the White House. You know, I spoke to some people that worked in the White House and they told me, you know, the White House, believe it or not, is much smaller than it appears. Yeah, you got a few big rooms where you have meetings and you have dining rooms. But, you know, beyond that, yeah, there's a place where, you know, the first family eats dinner. Then there's a few other offices and private residences. Donald Trump, I believe, is suffering from claustrophobia in that place. His wife does not stay there. His kid does not stay there. His daughter doesn't. He's sleeping by himself in that room somewhere. I think it's all beginning to to affect him. And I think one day he's going to reach the breaking point and with looming investigations or looming evidence that's about to be exposed about him, I think one day he's going to say, you know something, I want out of here. I'm finished. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tried to uh, kill him. I mean, I don't think they'd be successful with cameras and bodyguards and etc. but I I could see some nut going crazy and wanting to kill well, uh, Mr. I, Trump. I, 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 would, I don't wish it I would never. I would never want to see that happen. No. But there are a lot of crazies in this country. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. One thing, one thing is true. If you're a very famous, well-known person, yeah, there are nuts out there that you have to watch out for. That that is a fact. But, oh uh, yeah, okay. They did to uh, John Lennon. Yeah, hopefully that. You know that guy came up for John Lennon's killer came up for parole not that long ago. Mark denied David Chapman. It. Yeah, it was denied. Same thing with a uh, what's his name, uh, the guy in California, Manson. Charles Manson. Charles Manson has been, um, he's been eligible for parole for many, many years, but they just keep denying him. And, you know, he shouldn't be paroled. And, you know, those other people, the women that uh, were part of the killing group. Yeah, the followers. Followers. You know, they, yeah, they've been, they've been in jail for 45 years and they're old and they want to get out. You know what? I don't think they should get out. What they did to really? uh, uh, Tate was horrendous. I mean, they cut her open and took the baby out. Even though it was, some of them go, were like 16 when they did it, right? Yeah, you know what? You I don't, don't take care. that into consideration. Nah, not, not, not when you're going and cutting people's stomach opens and taking babies out and, and writing helter-skelter on the walls. Well, the purpose of writing helter-skelter on the walls and, and blood that was supposed to create a race riot. I mean, these people were complete mad, madmen or mad women. And um, you know, you got to pay for your actions in this life, and that's it. Even though he never uh, actually pulled the trigger of all time, would you say he was Charlie never even there? Is, right. Would you think he of him as there, the but... worst killer of all time? Well, I, you know, he's not the worst killer of all time because there's other people that have killed more than he has. You know, Timothy McVeigh blew up a building and killed, what, 150 people. You know, the, 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 
Yeah, the BT. What a what a diabolical guy that guy was. The BTK killer. He killed Jeffrey a lot Dama. of people too. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer was. He was a legitimate nut job. Uh, Jeffrey yeah, I, Dahmer. I think he but, couldn't help it. I mean, yeah, he, he couldn't just, help it, but he was sick. I think. Yeah, I mean, this guy was into cannibalism and everything else. But there was something almost something pathetic about Jeffrey Dahmer. But there are killers that are worse than Manson that have killed more people, you know. Um, But he's bad, and he directed these people to commit these atrocities. And thank God he hasn't seen the light of day. You know, there's a show on TV. There's a there's a show on TV I like to watch called uh, Forged in Fire. You ever watch that show, Forged in Fire? It's about Uh, people making. They make weapons, knives. They compete who can make the best weapon and knife. I I find it an interesting show. But one of the guys in that show is like, you know, a doppelganger for Charles Manson. He looks just like him. Oh my, that must be a scary. Yeah, you got to watch that show to see this guy. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of shows this Sunday. There's a uh, three-part documentary on Casey Anthony on the ID network. So they're going to revisit that. I am so tired (laughs) of her. You know, really, I I want her to go away. When I see articles about her, it just doesn't interest me anymore. It's played out. You can't extract anything more from that case. You know, and if you see the mother, she looks so worn out, and I'm sure she is. <laughs> uh, but about I think we father, have the honor. You know. Yeah, he, he uh, looks, uh, yeah, uh, the two of them, and uh, you see the attorneys are. Uh, I'm sure it'll get some good ratings, but uh, we do have a call here. I think we have uh, Sarah Kardashian. Uh, I think she joined us here tonight. Hi, Sarah. You here? Hi. How are you? Good. Good. Can you hear me? Yes. Sarah, Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm right, good. Thanks. Good. Um, really interesting show tonight. Um, I think one of the takeaways is that powerful, wealthy people just have this entitlement gene in them, I guess. And um, I think a, I think most of them walk around thinking they can get away with anything. And um, the whole Fox Network thing, I mean, I think I was alarmed with the whole Roger Ailes um, case last fall or whenever it took place. And I'm not surprised about Bill O'Reilly because there were accusations or allegations, whatever you want to call them, um, years ago. And um, I, gosh, I just, uh, it just bothers me that if the network's going to keep him on, if it's true, if they're all true, and there must be some substance to it if these women got all this money. um, And I I don't know, it astounds me that they, they just think he's just this shining star that still needs to be on the air. Um, the other thing is, like with the nine million or thirteen million or whatever, that always gives me pause because I, I, I tend to think that this could be 
something that would lead to false accusations. You know, somebody really thinking, oh, my God, she got $9 million? Well, and, and just – and just falsely accuse someone. It's a real difficult situation. And as far as the teacher and the student, um, yeah, I I believe that she's 15. She has no, legally she can't make a decision on her own and 15 years old, their brains are scrambled anyway. Um, So whether she went willingly or not, I I look look at it as a kidnapping. And apparently they were, um, seen kissing each other a week before um, they left the city. Um, but I do have to say something, and I'm, I don't want to blame the parents, but I always believe in prevention. And in my opinion, no 15-year-old should have any privacy when it comes to media, when it comes to their phone or their computer or social media. I, I truly believe that you have to watch what your child is doing. Apparently, there were many, many texts and emails back and forth between the two of them. So I, I believe in prevention. Like I said, I'm not blaming the mother, but I do believe that something could have been prevented if someone had known what she was up to. Except for the 13-year-old's mother, the 13-year-old that was raped by Roman Polanski. Now, to me, that is a totally different mm. story. And I do, I do have really negative feelings about her mother because she allowed her 13-year-old daughter to go to Jack Nicholson's house because she wanted her daughter to break into the business, and look what happened. And I really, truly, I'm not a lawyer, but I really, truly believe that that was reckless disregard for her child. I, I, I just can't even wrap my mind around that you would let your 13-year-old daughter be in that environment. And as far as Roma Polanski, I'm sure you've all heard, the judge said, no, you can't come back. And you know what? I'm glad. I am just, because he needs to do some time, in my opinion. And as far as Bill Cosby, Alex, I agree with you uh, about the original agreement between the prosecutor and the defense attorneys. Uh, I just am beside myself that that this would happen in in our justice system. An agreement is an agreement, and and I I feel that yes, he's probably the biggest pervert that we've seen in a long time, and it was it's absolutely disgusting and sickening what his actions supposedly are. But I really think that they should have held up that agreement. And, and like I said, not because I like him so much or I, or I think he's innocent, but they should have held up that agreement. And um, I, I, I just think it's another situation, even with Bill O'Reilly, the whole celebrity factor. I mean, O.J. Simpson, um, people who love these people, who love these celebrities, don't want them to be guilty. No, I mean, I'm even when I hear about a story where a parent has done something horrible to a child, I always hope, I hope it's not the mother, I hope it's not the father, I, I hope it's not the spouse that killed the spouse. I always want that boogeyman. I just want that. I, I just would feel so much better if it was the boogeyman and not someone that knew this person and loved this person. Um, 
I don't know. I've rambled again, haven't I? Um, oh, Alex, I do have one, two questions for you. Yeah, sure. Are you there? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. As far as Bill Cosby, there was a hearing, and I don't think that there was a decision yet. Apparently, the prosecution is digging up as much as they can, and he wrote a book, and he also had a monologue where he talked about a joke about a Spanish fly, and they want to bring that into the trial. So I want your opinion yeah, on that. I about that. Okay, and I also I, I, want your I, opinion. Yeah. Hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, just on that Spanish fly issue, I don't think it would be fair to bring that in there because that was part of his comedy act. And, you know, so I think it's pushing the envelope. So you think the judge won't let it in? Of, I don't think the judge is going to let it in. There, okay. I mean, really. I mean, he, he's saying a joke, and they're going to try to bring it in to try to damage right. his credibility. Right. Yeah. yeah, okay. And the other thing about sexual harassment, and, and maybe you know this, um, if someone perceives that they are sexually harassed, is it their obligation to confront that person before they make a complaint, or can they make a complaint without confronting the person, without saying, knock it off, I don't want to hear this? Or, no, or, you, you, don't have, you don't have to confront the person. You may be intimidated oh, you don't. by that person. Why do that's you what I thought. Them? No, but that's what you're, I thought, too, and then someone the else burden. was saying that you have to. Now you're shifting the burden of responsibility from the, the from the harasser to the person uh-huh. that's being harassed, and, and uh, why should well, there be that type of burden shifting? You know, if exactly. the person has committed some type of sexual harassment, what you should then have to confront them. You're in an, you are probably in an inferior position as it is, and then you're supposed yeah. to do what? Tell them, hey, you harassed me. That's a nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you you should take steps to try to to try to uh, report it to the proper authorities. Although that business at Fox, they had a hotline where you could supposedly call up and report sexual harassment. I mean, come on, what, what kind of a joke is that? Right. Roger Ailes, yeah. they believe was was tapping people's phone calls. And what was heard with that information anyway? I wish yeah. there was one person that did use that phone. And I would have liked to have found out what happened to them. You know, is New that, York that sounds, a two-party state? Bogus. Is New York a two-party New- state? If you record a conversation, do you have to have the other person's um, knowledge of it? No, you don't have to have the other person's knowledge. Oh, okay. Because no. California is. Yeah, so I was just curious. No. Well, thank you very no. much. It's always a pleasure. Great talking to thank you, Sarah. I appreciate your uh, observations. Thank you, and, and thank you, Jordan, for your great show all the time. You take care now, both of you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. And, Alex, uh, great show indeed. We get, we get, we uh, had tonight some good good topics uh, with uh, Cosby and the teacher and Bill O'Reilly and whatnot. So yes, I appreciate you coming in. Yeah. A lot of big stories out there all of a sudden and, uh, you know, makes for good grist for the legal uh, community. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, get you back on the show. We'll have you back sooner than uh, later. Because uh, right, fans uh, like listening to you. 
Good night that's, to you and all sure. the great listeners and all the great listeners of the show. Good night. Mary is definitely listening. She she listens to us a lot. Uh, call her Mary. Uh, we also have uh, Vicky who listens, Madeline and Pedro. So that's that. Thanks, Alex. Right. Okay, folks. So uh, Alex did a great job for us to the, uh, tonight. Um, go listen to this on iTunes when you get a chance. Follow us on King Jordan R A D on Twitter. Some great stories with Bill O'Reilly to think about. Um, Bill Cosby coming up in two months. Uh, it won't be televised because they will. They don't do that in Pennsylvania uh, with sex cases, um, so uh, you won't see that. <clears throat> So uh, we also had uh, that teacher story. That is uh, very bizarre, and uh, I hope they get that guy real soon. And uh, the uh, Mayor DeBossi story trying to close uh, the uh, prison here in New York that's been around for a long time. Again, uh, thanks, uh, Maddie, for uh, checking in, listening. Uh, Phyllis. Um, Vicky, Pager, everybody who checked it. Um, so thank you very much. We're gonna leave you with uh, a Throwback Thursday song. We're gonna go to uh, one of my favorite songs from 1992, Mariah Carey, "When a Hero Comes Along." Good night from King Jordan Radio. If you reach it.